John chapter 14. Now, I want to, kind of an introduction, this message this morning, just to a short series that I'm going to uh, preach over the next few weeks. But, um, and what I'm going to touch upon, you're going to have to bear with me and follow with me as we work through it, because it may seem a little controversial at first, and I say that only because of the current climate that we've been living in in Christendom today. And, uh, you know, and for the last 50 years, really, uh, 30 especially. But um, in, the modern, in modern Christianity, we've moved to an extreme of experiential Christianity, okay? I mean, you would know that if we've seen the Pentecostal movement, we've seen charismatic aspects and all that's come under that banner in, in, in the modern era... And it's kind of done an injustice because many people recoil at the fact of the excess that we see today in the world around us when it comes to these things. But, you know, there's an old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? And so God is to be experienced this morning in a real, meaningful, powerful, dynamic way. So you can say amen to that because in the midst of all that's going on around us, of worldwide deception, the emotionalism that is attached to that, the sensationalism that is attached to that, and people are seeking a a soulish experience of the uh, reality of God. And uh, it's manufactured by men for the most part. That's why they have to put dark, you know, make everything dark, get the... The, the, the strobe lights, you feel like a, that's how it was before I got saved and uh, came out of the, you know, the whole uh, music industry and, well, not that I was in the industry, but music and, you know, the nightclubs and all that nonsense. And now it's in the church. And so they create an atmosphere and everyone says, oh, can you feel God? Can you feel God? So I say this as a preface because I'm, t- I'm going to be preaching a series on experiencing God. But I just want to, you know... Uh, just touch upon the, those aspects because obviously we want nothing to do with those things. And a lot of that stuff is attributed to the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's not and doesn't bear the fruit of. And uh, obviously I had to navigate that in my 30 years as a Christian and so forth. But again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Identify the error. Reject the error. Reject the false doctrines, but one thing we want to do, amen, we want to hold fast to the truth. We want reality. That's what truth is. We want reality. We want the reality of God this morning in our own personal lives, in our midst, uh, corporately. And that's what we are praying for. That's what we're contending for. And so the truth is this, is that we can experience God in a real way. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't experienced God. Yes, I understand the gospel, I understand faith, and I understand believing and all of those things that are associated with that. But I had an experience with God over some 30 years ago now that so radically changed and transformed the direction of my life. I was born again by the Spirit of God. And so we're talking about experiencing God. 
you know, I thought I'd better look that up and just kind of see what the, how is it defined? How would you define experience, especially in the context of experiencing God? And so in the dictionary, I want to read it to you just so that we can get a, a, an, a, an idea. It says, direct observation of or participation in events as a basis of knowledge. So it's not just the observation, but it's the participation. And that is what Christianity is, amen. When we are born again, we are born into Christ and the Spirit of God comes into us. And so there is a dynamic, there is a dimension this morning that we are to experience, spiritually speaking. Further defined, the word experience means the fact or state of having been affected by or gained knowledge through direct observation or participation. There it is again. And then it also says, as a third point, something personally encountered, undergone or lived through. And so God is a spirit. And we are made in the image of God. We're spirit. And in the midst of all the error, in the midst of the false, in the midst of all the nonsense, there is a reality this morning. And this is what we want to uh, focus on. Because I was 18 years old and I experienced the reality of Christ. And so, and so each one of us, doesn't matter, you know, we've heard the saying, God has no grandchildren. You may have even grown up in a Christian home and environment, but we need an encounter with God. We need to be born again. We need to experience God for ourselves in the real way. You know, Jesus, when he defined, and he said in John's gospel, he said that we have to be born again to see the kingdom of God, and he gave an analogy. He said the wind blows where it wills or wishes. He says uh, you, can, you can't see it, but you see the effects of it. He says, so is somebody that is born of the Spirit. You know, I don't know about you, but if the wind is blowing, you can't see the wind, but you can, one, see the effects of it. True? Yeah. And, mind you, you can... Can you feel the wind? Now, you're getting nervous, right? Because I'm going to touch upon our human experience. I'm touching upon the emotional aspect. But we're spirit. We can sense God. We can have a spiritual sense. Yes, I understand the dangers that are associated with the realm of the soul. It's so self-explanatory this morning. But again, this reality of experiencing God is, is real. And like any scriptural truth, we have to establish the biblical scaffolding. And that's what I want to do this morning as a bit of an introduction as we work through some of these things. But I want to establish that so that we can understand that what we are talking about is scripturally sound. Because that's what forms the basis of that experience. You can't just base things on experience if they're not found in the Word of God. That's obviously the gateway to error and the nonsense that we see around us today. But nevertheless, we're talking about reality. Now, what is it that enables us this morning to experience the world that we live in around us? Five senses, correct? God has created us to interact with the natural world. We, are, we have the ability to touch. We have the ability to taste. We have the ability to smell, 
We have the ability to see and we have the ability to hear. And these five senses is how we gain experience in the world that we live in, true? And so again, spiritually speaking, we, so, we find in Scripture these metaphors that relate to the spiritual dimension of life in the same manner. So we're not physical in the sense, but the Bible talks about hearing the Spirit, doesn't it? it talks, the Bible talks about taste, it talks about smell, it talks about uh, uh, seeing. And so all of those five senses have a spiritual counterpart this morning that connects us to the spiritual dimension, to enables us to, to know God. To experience God in a real way. These, these spiritual truths. Now, why am I considering these things this morning? Well, I'm convinced that man needs to experience God. Otherwise, we just go through a form of Christianity and we deny its power. And we don't want form, we don't want ritual. We want reality this morning. And that needs to be the desire and the hunger and thirst of our lives because you can go through the, 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 the routines of religion, but I tell you, that's all it is, is a routine. And that is dry as a bone, as dead as a doornail, as they say. Because we need the reality of Jesus Christ this morning. And this is what's on my heart. This is what I want to share. Because if we're going to experience this, then we have to understand this aspect of the nature of God and the purpose of Jesus Christ, not just in salvation. But the fact is, is that we have a relationship with God this morning. And we, the Bible talks about we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that Christ dwells within us. We're talking about so much aspects of his nature, who he is. And so we are interacting. It's not just in eternity, but now, eternal life is now. The life of the Spirit is now. And we want to abide in that fullness this morning. Now before I go on to touch upon this, let me just again preface it. As I say, as I say when we talk about the Bible this morning and we talk about faith, we're talking about, let me use the word, cold logic, okay? It's fact. Faith, if nothing else, comes down to fact. We believe. It is written. doesn't matter if you don't feel the thing. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the reality of truth. And so that has to be understood. The Bible, if, if, if that's all it was, is if it was just cold logic, then that is sufficient. But you know what? It's not all that there is. There's more. Because God intended it to be much more than that. Not that we're looking for the feelings. Emotions, as they say, emotions are wonderful servants but horrible taskmasters. So we're not seeking emotionalism, although we, we can be emotional in the presence of God and react to the presence of God. So I pray you understand what I'm saying. But I want to look with you and establish the various aspects. This is foundational to this morning. And just introductory, but I, hope it pray, I pray that it opens our understanding and we'll go in further into this in the next few weeks. But I've chosen as my text in John's Gospel, chapter 14, go with me to verse 19. Jesus is speaking 
And you know what he's talking about. He's talking about sending another, isn't it? You know, so if only we had Jesus here. <laughs> well, you know what Jesus said? We're not going to be alone because he's going to send another. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so <clears throat> let's, uh, in fact, before I read the text, <clears throat> I might, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I might just say, the, there, there is some inspiration for this message, and I'm going to share a bit more a bit about it as, after we read the text. But the series, if, you, if I'm going to call it, and I've entitled it, it's based upon a book that I, re- I've, I read many, many years ago as a Christian. And it's, it's one of those little booklets that just was burnt by the Spirit of God into my, my, under, my mind, and it was called Christ Manifested. Christ Manifested. And the truth that it contained was deposited in my heart and, uh, and I hold fast to this day. And so it was, I'll, sh- I'll share a little bit more about it in a minute. But that's the series, if we were to, as a title, Christ Manifested. Let's read John 14, verse 19. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Look at those words. They're powerful. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Jesus said in verse 21, he who loves me and keeps my commandments, he says, I will manifest myself to him. So this whole concept of Christ manifested, Christ experienced, Christ revealed. And when I say revealed, I mean uh, uh, to be understood and to be known. That is what eternal life is, to know God. That's the principle. So even the Holy Spirit whom we have, we understand that his whole purpose is to make Christ manifested. His purpose is to glorify Christ. And that's why we have in the church today such an overemphasis where, where people sing to and they almost worship the Holy Spirit when he wants to be inconspicuous. Yeah, he's manifesting. Yeah, he's working. But his whole purpose is to glorify Christ, to make Christ known. And so he doesn't draw attention to himself in that way. It's always to Christ. And so Christ manifested. It's not the Holy Spirit manifested, but Christ manifested. I will manifest myself to him. Jesus said. Now, I, like I said, I have this booklet, and I think I've, I handed it out to, uh, years ago to um, Natalie. And it's such a profound little book, Christ Manifest. And it was written by an individual named um, 
Oh, what was his? What was it? No, John Fletcher. <laughs> no, it was other. Christ manifested John Fletcher. Now, John Fletcher, now this is interesting because John Fletcher, he predates the whole Pentecostal movement. See, when we talk about experiencing God, so many uh, make the focus and emphasis the Pentecostal movement. And as real as that may be in its formation and in, its, in, in the early 19th century, or 20th century, I think it was, if you put it that way, um, uh, this stuff that we're dealing with deals with, it goes prior to that. John Fletcher, he lived between, the, actually in 1729 to 1785. And this man was a godly man. He was a contemporary to individuals such as John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. Now I'm using these names deliberately and I'll explain to you in a moment why. Because this book was such a profound book that has, has influenced so many men of God over the years. You'll be familiar with the name Martin, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And so he, uh, he wrote a forward to this book because this book was reprinted in 1968. So remember, it was written back in the, 17th, in the 18th century, but it was reprinted in 1968 and it was written as a forward by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, again, he's not a, and this man is not a Pentecostal preacher as such. He was a contemporary with his modern counterpart, which was A.W. Tozer. But you see, he called this particular book from John Fletcher, these were his words, it is a spiritual classic. A spiritual classic. And he called Fletcher one of the most remarkable company of men raised up by God in the 18th century. And it was associated with the, what we know as the evangelical uh, revival and movement that swept across uh, uh, the United Kingdom and the rest of the world, but was predominantly, as we know, the Methodist movement and those that were attached to it and associated with it. There was a great evangelical awakening of that era. era. Like I said, it included men like George Whitfield and Charles Wesley and John Wesley. Now, what makes these, this significant, and the reason why I'm using these two names, is George Whitfield and John Wesley, they, they, they belong to two different camps in Christendom, as we have today, the same thing that kind of plays itself out. They were two men that doctrinally had their contentions. In fact, their contentions became so great at times that they were bitterly opposed to each other. You know, that happens in the church. I've seen it. I've observed it. And I say, God, it, God is in control. That's what, I, that's what I've determined. But what makes it significant is that both of these men, John Wesley and George Whitfield, they came from two different camps of, of Christianity at the time, but both had a, a deep respect for John Fletcher and this book, Christ manifested. And so what happened is John Fletcher had set up a school in those days and they were celebrating their one-year anniversary of their opening and he invited and both George Whitfield and John Wesley attended that meeting at that time and they, they sat together and they fellowshiped together around the Lord's table. They worshipped and they both ministered in that time and in that moment and the significant, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this point. He says what brought them together at that moment was that each of them 
had a deep experience with God. In fact, let me quote him. He says, It was more than just their respect for a man, as in John Fletcher. It was their common experience of the grace of God, their doctrine of assurance, but above all, their deep experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can all debate certain doctrines and topics and issues. It's never-ending. But most, for the most part, what most have in common is we have experienced the reality of Jesus Christ. And we have an experiential understanding of, of and a knowledge of Christ himself because he has revealed himself to us. We are partakers of the divine nature and of his wonderful grace. And so Christ had manifested himself to these individuals. And really that was the emphasis of John Fletcher's book, was Christ manifested. One of the points that he, he wrote about and he contended for to establish was this, is that each one of us is to experience God. Is that Christ will manifest himself to each one of us at a given point in time. Now I can't control those circumstances. I can't tell you when and how, and I can't, but nevertheless, it, the reality is this. Sooner or later, if you are seeking God and you are drawing near to God, then eventually Christ will manifest himself to you in such a way that you will know beyond doubt of his reality. Because not just have you have understood him, but you have experienced his love. You have experienced his peace. You've experienced his power and all of these things that come. In fact, John Fletcher said these words. He says, I am of the firm opinion that the Lord Jesus Christ seeks to manifest himself to all born-again believers in this life. I am convinced that for purposes which are worthy of his wisdom, our Saviour desires to reveal himself to all of his sincere followers in a divinely spiritual way, sooner or later. And truly, this is the reality this morning. Christ has manifested himself to me. And I trust that Christ has manifested himself to you. And if he hasn't, then I pray, seek him. Draw near to him. Read his word. Call upon God. Because at a, a given point in time, Christ will meet with you. And I tell you, it'll change your life. It becomes a landmark moment in your relationship and your walk with God. Now, we can't ignore the fact that our text states that there are certain conditions associated with this. Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If you love me, keep my commandments. So you can't, you can't expect... Christ to manifest himself to you if you're not walking in obedience to him. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And to grieve the Holy Spirit of God means that there's a withdrawal, a resistance. So there's not going to be a manifestation in that manner. But you see, if we are, if we are loving God, seeking God, drawing near to God, then it's in this context that Christ says, I will manifest myself to him. He has promised it. He has declared it. That's why we can, by faith, 
preach and expect this because Christ himself has said, I will manifest myself to him. You know, whether it's through life, through the trials, through the tribulations, whatever it is, maybe it's a point of brokenness in our lives that gives way to these things, and how often it is. Because you know what, we're like human nature. We like to uh, do things ourselves and disobey God until we come to the end of ourselves and then we're seeking to humble ourselves and cry out to God. And God is merciful, full of grace. And it's right there when we least deserve it and expect it, God comes to us. Amen? That's salvation. When we're not looking for God, He's looking for us. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. And so this, this is, a, again, in, in, in the flip side, this is an initiative. Sometimes God, in his mercy, he just manifests himself to us because uh, it, it, the, the hour of grace has come. When you were not looking for him, when God came to my life, I was not looking for God. I wasn't even raised in a Christian family, didn't know who he was. But I tell you, when God chose to reveal himself to me, it was, it was, it was, it was real. It was quick. It was instantaneous. It was dynamic. Now, I'm not saying it's like that for, for you, your salvation. But what I'm saying to you is that Christ manifested to your life is a, is a promise, is a reality, and must be a reality in your life. And that's why in life and its sufferings, that's why, that's why people can testify to the comfort of God, to the peace of God. Because in the midst of life and all that uh, we endure and experience, we experience his nature and his attributes and his power and his grace. And so I, I ask you, has Christ manifested himself to you? You say, well, not, not really. I can't, I can't relate to what you're saying. But I say to you this morning that don't fear because God can. And don't fear because God says he will. Draw near to God. Seek him. Pray. Cry out. Read. And I'm telling you, at some appointed time, when it's God says it's time, Christ will manifest. And so, the scripture tells us plainly this morning, let's lay a bit of a foundation to this, because when we talk about the world, Jesus said he's not going to reveal himself to the world. He's not going to manifest himself to the world. He's going to manifest himself to those that God has given him to those that love him, to those that are obeying him. And so obviously there's that prerequisite, but we must go a little bit further as we establish this because we also understand that the world is dead in trespasses and sins. The world is spiritually dead towards God. Having sin and being born of Adam... We are born into a state this morning in which, uh, being born of the first Adam, we are born separated and we are not alive to God. In fact, as we live life and we disobey God, the Bible says that we are alienated from the life of God. Alienated. It's something that's foreign. The world doesn't know. It's blinded to, again, using these spiritual metaphors. And the scripture tells us, let me, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, familiar portion of scripture where it says in verse 14, 
Obviously, it says now we, meaning the, the believer, the child of God, have received not the spirit of the world. Did I say, that? I'm reading verse 12. I said verse 14, didn't I? Okay, let's go to verse 14. <laughs> Obviously, we, well, let's just read verse 12 anyway. It says, now we have received, it just reiterates what I'm saying. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things, know the things, not just experience, but in knowledge and experience. To know, to grasp, to understand the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man, man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's what we're talking about. But now I want to make the point about the world. Verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the man who is unregenerated, the man who is not born of the Spirit of God, is not born again, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And nor can he, the Bible says, because these things are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually, and that's why in the previous, we just read it, we have the Spirit of God in us, the Spirit who teaches us, the Spirit who guides us, the Spirit who manifests to us these truths. They're spiritually discerned. That's the principle of knowing God this morning. But the world is blind. The natural man, the world in which we live, they're blinded. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded. Notice it's taking a natural expression. We understand blindness. If, you can't, if you're blind physically, you can't see anything. The, na the natural man can't receive. The, the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who do not believe. They are spiritually blind. They are deaf. They, that's why they have to be awakened to hear the voice of the Son of God. The Bible talks about the, the, those, the unregenerate and it says that they are alienated from God and that they are past feeling. They are past feeling. In other words, that word means that they have become apathetic. They're not interested. They don't care for spiritual truth. They don't care for God. They don't care for Christ and the sacri his sacrifice at Calvary. There's another expression where it talks about Paul. He says that they, they have seared their consciences with a hot iron. And that literally means that their, 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 their consciences have become callous, hard-heartedness. You know, what happens if, if you get a callous on your, on your hand or your foot? Or, what, what, what's, what's the result of that? You can't feel, can you? You can pinch it and it's, you don't feel it because it's callous. That's the world that we're living in. They're past feeling. They are past, their, their consciences are seared with a hot iron. This is the state of their heart before God. The natural man. You know, Jesus even condemned religion because religion is man-made traditions. And Jesus says, what, what does it, Jesus say to the Pharisees? Is that they are the blind leading the blind. They are spiritually blind. 
They have not, they're, they're not seeing the spiritual truth and reality. See, these metaphors in Scripture are there when we talk about the five senses, spiritually speaking. And so the world, in, its, in all of its religion, it's the blind leading the blind. And you talk to them about spiritual realities and it's like you're talking a different language because their eyes are not open. They have not had the manif true manifestation of Christ. They might be religious and there's plenty of religion on offer in the world around us, but we're talking about the truth this morning. We're talking about the reality of Christ and experiencing Christ and having Christ manifest himself to us. You know, the blind can speak of colours, but that doesn't mean they can see them. The deaf can try... And, you know, again, they can't interpret sounds. And so, you know, when we talk about the blind leading the blind and man in his state, it's, their, their whole understanding of God is based upon conjecture and speculation about God. And that's man-made tradition and religion. That's the natural man. But you see, the spiritual man is different this morning. The born-again believer who has the spirit inside of them you know, the Bible says that our spiritual senses are awakened. We are alive to God. Alive to God. That means if I'm alive to God, that means I can experience God. They say, well, I can't see him. Well, I'm not talking physically. Okay. If only I can touch him. No. We're not talking physically. But the spiritual counterparts of these things are real because you can see because you can see God, you can know God, you can hear God. The spiritual man, the born-again believer, who has their spiritual senses awakened and connected to the Spirit. These senses are only exclusive to the children of God this morning. That's why Jesus said, I'll manifest myself to, to his children to the believer, to the born again, not to the world, but to us. And so if this is Christ's promise, that he'll manifest himself, then this is our prayer, this is our, should be our desire, this should be our hunger, this should be our thirst, that could consume us this morning. Because the Bible refers to this in so many different ways. I just mentioned one, we're alive to God. The Bible speaks about the new man, it talks about the inward man, the inner man of the heart, the spirit. Because it's the spirit that connects us to God. The reality of God is spirit. You see, that's why a lot of so much religion taps into the realm of the soul. The latent power of the soul. And it's all soulish and it moves in a dimension that it, oh, it seems spiritual. But that doesn't mean it's God. And so these spiritual senses that we have, we'll go them through them in more depth in the coming weeks. But they're taught and they're there in the scriptures. We're talking about sight, hearing, taste, smell and touch. Now when I say touch, I mean the ability to feel, to sense. Again, associated with emotion, but let's face the fact, God has created us with emotions, church. It's why we, we are emo we've created, some are more emotional than others, I get it. And there's, again, there's all reasons for that. But as I make the point, emotions are there to, um, uh, uh, to be subjected to truth, 
They don't become the source of truth. Because when you start saying, well, I feel this and I felt that, and well, that's great. But, you know, I've, I've, I've seen and observed so much that's come under that banner and feeling and, 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 and all the rest of it. And then I listen to the way that they speak and, the, and observe people's lives and the doctrines which they propagate. And they claim to have the spirit and yet they don't speak the truth because the truth's not in them. Because let's look back, Adam and Eve, didn't they walk with God? Could you imagine in the cool of the day, God coming down? They lived in an experience with God. Now, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a, a, a Spirit deposit in our hearts. We have now, uh, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so, yes, there is, uh, we have this, uh, this down payment, we have this reality that's deposited in our hearts now. We are to experience that throughout the course of our lives. But I'll say this, does it mean you experience it every day? No. Does it mean that I don't go through dry seasons? No. That's where faith comes into it, cold logic. Because that's what it comes down to sometimes. But I tell you now, my experience over 30 years as I've sought the Lord and have drawn near to God and at my times of when I felt the most driest and I've cried out to God, God in his sovereign grace has met with me over and over and over and over again. Amen. And so it's the spiritual senses that are awakened to these things. Bible refers, refers to the inward man that is being renewed day by day. There's a truth here. There's a reality. See, when we speak of God's love this morning, we understand God's love by just looking purely. And there's no greater love than to lay down your life. You know, a husband and a wife can say, I love you, even if they don't even feel it, because love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will, Right? So we know that. But does that mean that we don't feel love? You see, again, it comes down to our makeup. And though sin has contaminated it and it's open to deception and all the rest of it, the reality is, is that we are to sense God. We are to experience God. We're to know his love. That's why the Bible says uh, that perfect love, what, casts out fear. Fear, because fear is an emotion. As much as it's a spiritual dimension, the spirit of fear, it has an emotional manifestation in our lives. And so you can't live in fear because if you live in perfect love, it's not just an understanding, that's where it starts, it's the foundation. But as you grow into that love, you begin to experience the love of God which surpasses knowledge. To know the width, the, width, the depth, the height, the love of God which surpasses knowledge. We talk about God being a God of peace. It's not just a metaphor. Because it's got to do with the reality of life where we are, uh, could be facing circumstances where we're prone to anxiety and fear. We need the peace of God to rule in our hearts. That in itself becomes experiential, does it not? The Bible says, uh, uh, um, um, uh, Philippians chapter 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will what? Guard your heart and your mind. It's the peace of God that surpasses what? 
all understanding because you experience it. See what I'm saying? It's experiencing God in the realities of life. That's why we can lie on a deathbed and the whole body can be dying. You know what? I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I'm coming home. Outward man's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. We talk about his presence, his comfort, his compassion, all these attributes of God. Are not these experienced by his children this morning? You know, we talk about Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and Peter preaches and he says to the crowd, he says, repent therefore and be converted that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing. That's from the presence of the Lord. See, there's an attachment. It's not just repent and be converted. That's one aspect. But it's t- the t- times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Because that word refreshing means to revive. To, 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 uh, it means a recovery of breath. Because even as Christians, we talk about revival and that's what the church needs. That's what we need at various stages. That's what is needed today in the world in which we live is a recovery of breath for the church. We need times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. God, revive me in the midst of the years. Lord Habakkuk said, in the midst of the years, in wrath, remember mercy. Revival. That's what's happened in the history of the church because people have become desperate and have sought the Lord. You see, this is one of the prevailing problems of God's people and his children this morning of the church, and that is they are asleep. I always remember a song, the world is sleeping in the dark. And the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. That's why Paul right in Romans he says, Awake! Wake up! Sleepy Christians! You know what happens when you go to sleep? Your spirit, your sen- when you go to sleep, well, some might be more sensitive to others, but your senses are at least dulled, aren't they? When you go to sleep physically, your senses are dulled. There are some that are just in bed, you know, you could jump up and down and they're like, (laughs) they don't move. You know, others you go, and they're like, (laughs) you know, you know what I'm getting at. (laughs) But you see, at the end of the day, sleep dulls the senses to some degree. And so as Christians, we need to be awakened to spiritual reality. We need to be awakened to to the reality of God. We never come to a place of complacency where we just think, you know what, this is all that it is or somehow I've lived it. No. We need a fresh manifestation. We need a fresh experience of God. And it comes as we endure and persevere and just trust the Lord, the presence of God. And I know, I've, I, again, don't get me wrong, I know the dry seasons of life. I can testify to it. But I also know that God is never late. God always comes to us and reveals himself in such a special way. 
he manifests himself. And so, Christians need to wake up. And that's why we say, God, send a revival. Revive your church, revive your people. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, to those that love and obey, I will reveal, manifest myself. Do you have a hunger for God this morning? It has to be there. I, you know, I can't put it in your heart. I can't give it to you. You have to have a hunger, something in you that wants to seek God, that wants to draw near to God, that has a hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So we have to have a desire for God this morning. It has to be there to know him more, to grow in our understanding of him, to grow in our experience of him. These are, pu these are pure motivations. You know, I was, as I was just pondering this uh, message and as I was preparing it, I was just thinking about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, you would, you've read it in Luke's Gospel. <coughs> and here is Jesus. He's, he's died. He's resurrected. He's obviously in a form, physical form, that is unrecognisable because his disciples don't know who it is. And Jesus manifests himself, but, they don't, but he's not manifested to the point that they've recognized him. They don't know who it is. And he's walking with them. And the Bible says, you know, that they're talking with these two disciples. And they, um, uh, and, you know, they say to this man, do you know, don't you know what's been happened in Jerusalem over the course of the last few days? And Jesus is saying no. And so they're talking. Then Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus began to open, their, to open the scriptures to them, starting from the prophets, the law and the prophets, and showed them how the Christ must suffer. And then at the, as he talked with them, and they still don't even know who he is. This is people that have just been with Jesus for three years. And then he sits down with them, and in the breaking of bread, the, their eyes are opened. They're spiritualized before they're natural, but now the spiritual eyes have opened. And they see him, and then all of a sudden the Bible says he vanishes from their sight. And then they look at each other like ding-dongs, probably, overawed by the moment, and they said these words, didn't our hearts burn within us? Burn within us. You see... Christ manifested himself to them. And it's as they took bread and as they fellowshiped with one another, their eyes were open and they knew him. And they said, didn't our heart burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? That word burn means to set on fire. To set on fire. To kindle, to consume. You see, this is, our God is a consuming fire. And when you experience the reality of God, there's something about it that touches your spirit and it changes you. You have a, a burn, a hunger, a desire, a thirst for God. You are awakened. He says that in our hearts burn within us. You see, this has been the problem in modern Christianity is they, there's been too much false fire. Too much false fire. Man-made fire. But what we need is the genuine fire of the Spirit this morning. 
the fire of God to touch us, to burn within our own hearts, to consume us, so that we are, our minds and our hearts are totally consumed with God. Forget the strange fire. We don't want the artificial. We don't want the manufactured. We don't want men. And uh, we, we understand what happened back with, uh, um, uh, uh, what are they called? Son, the sons of Aaron and the Bahu and what was the other one? Was it a Bahu? Anyways, you know the two, two I'm talking about where they offered strange fire before God and they got consumed by the real fire. And so we want the fire of God, the fire of the Holy Spirit this morning. And I understand we talk about Pentecost. The Bible says that tongues of fire came upon them. But you see, in the day of Pentecost, not, just, not only did the Holy Spirit come and the church was birthed, but their hearts were set on fire. And they went out because Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be endured with power. And so they went out preaching and fueled by a power and a passion and a boldness. And they were experiencing God in those days, even in the midst of their intimidation. And, the, and, and as, they were, as they were told to speak in his name no more, they prayed and the Bible says the place was shaken and they were filled with boldness and began to preach and speak the word of God. Experiencing God. This is what I'm talking about this morning. So if we take this principle of Christ manifested... And we see it there in, in, in the road to Emmaus there as in the breaking of bread. I was thinking about that, the breaking of bread, because, you know, you have to fellowship with Jesus. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. You have to seek him. If you're going to know anything of what I'm talking about this morning, this has to be your heart. Otherwise, again, you're going to sit there and you know, what I'm going to say is just going to sound like a different language and foreign. But I was, my mind was drawn to Revelation chapter 3 in the church of Laodicea because Jesus, in addressing that particular church, these were, this was a church that was claiming to see. This was a church that was claiming spiritual wealth. This was a church that was claiming to experiencing the fullness of God. And yet, Jesus wasn't even there with them. He was on the outside of their hearts. He was on the outside of their church, of the church. He was on the outside. And yet they think that they're experiencing the reality of Christ and yet they're experiencing nothing of Christ himself. That's why Jesus rebukes them and he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And he calls them to repentance. And then he says to them these famous words, you know it. He, sa he says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, I will come into you and dine with you. Fellowship. This is experiencing Christ. And this church, which claimed to have such spiritual richness and wealth, had nothing. They were poor, they were miserable, and they were blind to the fact of their true spiritual state. God help us from being in such a state. But there was a promise. If they would open the door, hear his voice and open the door, I'll come in and dine with him. You see, they would experience Christ manifested in their midst. Their spiritual senses again 
would make experiencing God real. And that's what we want this morning. You know, Paul the Apostle had experienced God and the reality of Christ, obviously, in his salvation on the, on the road to Damascus and just the whole dynamic of that, which would have been sufficient enough. But Paul, as he, as he served the Lord and he said, uh, that I, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, meaning I want to continue to grow in my understanding of God. I want to continue to grow in my relationship with God. I want to continue to grow in my experience with God. Because you know what? We never arrive, church. We never arrive. Thank God for the showers. Thank God for the rain. Thank God for the times of refreshing. Thank God for the manifestation of Christ into our lives. But you see, you can't live on the past all the time. We need a present reality now. We need Christ to manifest now. Lord, this is our prayer. This is what I'm asking. God, to his church, to ourselves individually. Is that your, is your heart this morning? Because if it's not, then we need to examine ourselves. That's the truth. Because if we, we say we love God, then he has to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God. God doesn't take second place. He doesn't take a backward seat. It's all, take up your cross and follow me. It's all, it's self-sacrificial. And it's in that place that we will experience a depth and a knowledge and a reality of Christ in our lives. Christ manifested. You see, Christianity is more than cold logic this morning. It is experiencing God. That is the promise of Jesus Christ to manifest himself to us. Every single one of his children. And we talk about the spirit of love. We've talked about the spirit of peace. We've talked about the spirit of fire, the spirit of life, the spirit of power, the spirit of truth. All these attributes that are associated with Christ and the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. It's to your advantage that I go, Jesus said, because I'm going to send you another. And he will be in you. See, Jesus promised, I will manifest myself to him. Let me read that in the text again in John 14, because listen to what it says, Jesus. If anyone loves me, verse 23, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that precious? Think about it. Our home with him. And this is to the one who has Christ manifested. This is to the one who's walking with God, who's having enjoying sweet fellowship, experiencing the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. You name it. Because God fills us with the fullness of his blessing. And I pray... That maybe you're, you can't maybe relate to what I'm saying. Yes, you've understood. Yes, you understand. Maybe it's all making sense. But I tell you, can you say, I have experienced the reality of Jesus Christ in my life, especially growing up in, 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 in Christian homes and in the church. This is one of the dangers, the inherent dangers that can be associated. You must come to this place where you hunger and thirst, where Christ is everything. And I guarantee he will manifest himself to you. I can't tell you when and how, but I know he will. And you'll know when he does. 
Let's pray this morning. Oh, Father, we just come before you. God, we just bless your holy name. Lord, I ask God that you would manifest yourself, Lord, afresh. In this day and in this hour, God, in which, Lord, your church is asleep. God, in which, God, the world is in darkness. In which, God, we know that the time of your coming is at hand. Lord, send rain. In the time of the latter rain, we're asking God for a visitation. Lord, not, I'm asking God for a visitation that you would revive your work, revive your people, God. Lord, manifest yourself to us in a mighty way, in a special way. Lord, that we would be utterly consumed with you. Oh, God, I ask your blessing upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen.